indeed, we're so grateful to all our dedicated funders um, because many of our acquisitions and programs like Meet the Artist wouldn't be possible without uh, the private support that we receive from individuals, from foundations, um, from corporations. Many people believe that the Hirshhorn uh, is entirely funded by uh, the federal dollars, but in fact it's the partnership, the public-private partnership, that makes so much of our core program possible. So if you enjoy programs like this and other things that we do here at the Hirshhorn, uh, we encourage you uh, to uh, get involved uh, and to uh, join our annual circle. And there's information about our annual circle and the calendar and our events calendar, which is available outside as you walk out. We have a number of wonderful programs coming up this summer. We just opened the Wolfgang Tillman Show. Uh, and we are about to launch our summer uh, film series, uh, Summer Camp. And this year's Summer Camp is dedicated to the sci-fi femme fatale phenomenon. It is titled Barbarella Q. And there's a reason for that. <laughs> and we invite you to bring your own BBQ uh, to the plaza uh, and enjoy the weather here. And uh, then come into the auditorium and uh, enjoy the films. And some of the highlights in that, that series um, are Queen of Outer Space, which is on Thursday, June 14th, Attack of the 50-Foot Woman on June 21st, and finally Barbarella, Queen of the Galaxy, on June 28th. And David Wilt, who is a film scholar, will be introducing those films um, to give some, some context. And he, he did the introductions for our films last year, our Pest Fest. So um, grab the calendar on your way out, and we'd love to welcome you to that. Uh, please do check out our calendar and also our uh, e-website, well, on our website, and you can sign up for our e-newsletter, uh, which is, a, there's a card uh, outside you can sign up so you can get automatic um, and regular announcements about our programs. So turning to Byron, um, Byron received his Bachelor of Arts from Yale University in 1983 and attended the Skowhegan School of Painting and Sculpture in 1986, and he's been based in New York since 1987. And in the late 1980s, he began to invest minimal form with references to ethnic and racial identity, as well as with his own personal biography. And he really distinguished himself significantly throughout the 1990s and beyond for these works. Um, tonight, um, I'm hoping that Byron um, will share with us not only the kind of the core and context of your work, but also a lot of the recent work that you've been doing. He's been the subject of many important solo exhibitions, including Threshold, which was a, a touring survey organized by the Berkeley Art Museum, and um, I was very lucky to see in Seattle recently, a really stunning exhibition. Wall drawings at the Whitney Museum of, in, at Philip Morris, the Museum of Contemporary Art in Chicago, and of course our own show in 1996. Throughout his career, Byron has been the recipient of a variety of prestigious awards and fellowships, including grants and awards from the National Endowment for the Arts Artist Fellowship Grant and the Joan Mitchell Foundation Grant. So please join me in welcoming Byron Kim to the Hirshhorn. Thank you all for coming and thanks very much, Olga and Anne, for inviting me back here to lecture. Um, can everyone hear me okay? Good. Just going back to the beginning here. And um, starting at the, at the very beginning, actually, this image is of a thing, an object, it's, which is related to a, it's, it's a it's a reproduction of a Van Gogh painting, obviously, I guess. Um, and it's, I think that it's my first experience of art because it's the, it's, it's the only artwork that I remember from my very young childhood. And um, I recently found it in my mother's bathroom in La Jolla, California, but I think, I think it originates in, in either Hartford or Wallingford, Connecticut, where I lived when I was a year old, and then through um, through fourth grade, so I'd have been about nine years old or so, and um, I didn't I I didn't grow up with much art, and um, 
I, I had no, I had no intention. I didn't do much art as a child, and or no more than normal. And um, I had I had no intention of becoming an artist. Um, so this thing, I, f I found it in my mom's bathroom, and I realized, oh, that's the that's the painting that was in my in my bedroom all those years, and. I looked at it and I, I remembered that, I, I can't remember very much about how I felt about this object uh, growing up with it. I, I, it somehow was always there and, and when you're a kid you don't have much choice over that when you're really small. You know, your three-year-old kid isn't gonna say, I don't, I don't, like, I don't like this, let's get rid of it. Um, I, I do remember thinking that it was kind of gloomy, um, but I don't think I ever really examined it because it was just always there. And you can probably tell from this slide that it's, it's in pretty poor condition. It was, I think when it was new, it was in pretty poor condition because it's just a bad reproduction. I, I imagine they got it at the gift shop at the Wadsworth Athenaeum or someplace like that. Um, so I decided to explore it, um, realizing that it was the, you know, one of the few experiences of art that I had as a child. The, the only other one that I can remember was when I was in high school and it was with some Bryce, actual Bryce Martin paintings, and I won't go into that now. If there's time at the end and someone else is interested and remembers, to remind me, I, I can go into that anecdote. Um, but I was just trying to figure out what I could have thought about this painting, and um, it, it was painted uh, very late in Van Gogh's career, really close to uh, when, he, when he died. It, it's of the church at Auvers, where, where he lived. Um, um, think in an institution uh, at the very end of his life. Um, and so this, this church, I, I guess one thing I should mention is that I've never seen the original painting. I, I know where it is. It's in Paris. I've never been to Paris. Um, and um, I think it would be great to see it, um, but there's something about this object that's that's maybe as dear to me as as thinking about the original. Um, so what what I did was I I stretched some canvases that are the size of the original. And I used plasticine to make some uh, details. I made, uh, so the original's about this big, and I used um, what I was thinking of as, well, there are two reasons why I use plasticine. I'm thinking of it as a child's play material, and then also it never dries. So theoretically, 50 years from now, it can all be scraped up Gumby-like and, and uh, re remodeled. Um, if someone was of a mind to do that. And um, so, I skipped a slide. Um, looking at this first detail, so this is a full, this is the full painting that, that is a detail of that original, that original bad, re, bad copy. Um, and, and I looked at other, you know, I ha I, I've never had the opportunity to see the original. I, lo I looked at other reproductions to try to get a little bit more of the color. And I, have n I really have no idea how, how close I came. I, I suspect that m my color is, is even more kind of heightened than his was, um, just because it felt more kid-like to do that. Um, so here we have this, this lonely figure uh, 
having chosen one of two paths and, and going and sort of skirting around this, this gloomy church, which, which, um, which uh, looks as much like a haunted house as it does, as it, as it does a church. Um, and I guess looking at this um, figure, I, could, I can take her as standing in for the artist or, or even for, for us. And, um, and this, this may be carrying the reading too far, but um, my, my great-grandfather was the first Presbyterian minister in Korea. And uh, my grandfather was a very, very religious very, and very stern personality. And, and my mother, I guess she was raised uh, Presbyterian. And I remember very clearly going to church um, a few times early on. And at a very early age, being asked if I wanted to, she, she asked me if I wanted to continue going to church, and I just said no. Um, and so I think I, I think I only went a few times, and I wonder whether I wonder whether this um, experience had something to do with it. This um, this version of the church. Um, but even if that wasn't the case, I think that my having ultimately chosen art, I mean, as an adult, choosing art, making art as a practice, um, I, I think that in some ways art has taken, taken the place of that, what that would have been. And not so much that I'm a strong believer in art, but that Art is the way in which I question belief. Um, so here are a couple more details. Um, I guess something that I, I, I practically said a couple minutes ago um, was that these paintings, and, and actually, when I think about it, I've never really articulated this before, but um, these paintings privilege the detail, and um, maybe maybe all of my paintings do that, actually. Um, this is something that I just figured out today on the train. Um, and so I was looking at this bad little copy of a Van Gogh and trying to f imagine these little worlds within that world um, and imagine them as my, somehow as my childhood world. Um, so here's another, another detail of, of the upper left corner of the painting. And just to put a little exclamation point on the on the point that this is a bad copy. It's that's that's what kind of shape it is from behind and it says church at Auvers. Um, so here's another back of a painting. Uh, a, f a few so speaking of bad speaking of bad copies, um, I a few years ago I was walking around the Met um, just as I was walking around the National Gallery this afternoon, and I noticed these people with small paintings on easels, painting Rembrandt and Vermeer. And I see this, and I and I and I just saw somebody painting a portrait of Rembrandt's wife at the National Gallery a few hours ago. And that person had more of an audience than any other thing in the, in the, in the museum. And I, I didn't sign up to the copyist program for that reason, but um, 
I would, I, I, just um, as a side note, it, it just so happened that the painting that I ultimately chose was right near the entrance to this huge blockbuster Leonardo drawing show. Um, and so I had this line coming out of that show that just was, was often right behind me as I was painting. So I, for most of the time that I was painting at the Met, I had this built-in um, audience. But the, the, the original imp impetus for um, applying to the copyist program at the Met um, was that I, I just was curious about what these people, what, what they were doing, what that practice was. Um, at, f at first I thought maybe they were amateur artists, but then it turned out that they were actually more, in some ways, more professional than, than I am, um, whatever that means. Um, but, but the initial impulse was that I, I, was, I, I was very interested in the amateur as, a, as an issue or a notion. Um, and um, so I walked around the Met f for a few days trying to figure out what, after, after my permission came. And you have, to, you have to follow these very strict rules that you can't make anything bigger than 30 by 30 inches and you have to change the scale by 10% so that you don't walk away with a, a good forgery, which, is, which was not, uh, really not, not an issue with, with me. Um, um, but that, that was sort of where a lot of other people were coming from. I, it was, it's a very interesting culture, this, this uh, people who do copies of the museum. So I was walking around thinking, well, what am I going to copy? Maybe I will um, ask them if I can copy a Franz Klein or something. Um, and they, but that just seemed a little bit too much of a joke. Um, which is kind of funny because I was just sitting with Anne Elgood in front of the, um, it's another aside, um, the Irwin disc. And um, I've just made a, I just made a watercolor of a reproduction of, of another Irwin disc, which of course looks nothing, has, nothing, has absolutely no relationship to the original drawing. But then I've been interested in still life lately. And um, I really want to copy some Morandi paintings. But also when I was doing that watercolor, I, I, I came up with this perverse idea that I may actually want to follow through on, and that's to paint, you know, stretch an eight by eight foot canvas and copy an Irwin disc, um, which I was thinking about asking my hometown museum in La Jolla, because they have two, but uh, there's one here at the Hirshhorn, so I may be calling soon. Um, anyway, I walked around and um, I settled on this Jacques-Louis David painting which I, you know, I, it's so, it was sort of instinctive, which is a really, or intuitive, which is a crazy thing to say, because I, I have no, I'm not really an instinctive kind of person, um, or intuitive. Um, I just kind of, and I hate classicism. <laughs> so, but I just really liked the way that, I just thought the way the dress was painted was just dazzling, amazing. Um, so I asked to paint that. You know, I had absolutely no uh, no qualifications. And they in the application they ask you for your qualifications. Um, they they ask you for two recommendations, and and I imagine that the, you know, all these people who do this come from the same. They're trained in the same few places. Um, I have no such training. Um, I have mostly been making abstract monochrome paintings for the last 15 years. Um, so I, I stretched this 30 by 30 inch canvas, the, the, the biggest that you're allowed, and I fudged with the 10% rule because um, 
I clearly wasn't making, I wasn't even painting the whole painting, so. Which, which the first day I started making my, I guess they call it a cartoon, it's the underpainting, the guard came up to me and he said, hey, you're not painting the whole thing, are you? <laughs> and I said, I felt like I'd been caught. Um, just in the first 20 minutes, I'd been caught, exposed. And I said, no, no, I'm just painting that part. And he said, I've been working here over 20 years, and I've never seen anyone paint just part of the painting. I, I, was, I was dumbfounded. I couldn't, I couldn't believe that. I still don't believe it, but, um, but I actually have never seen anyone do a detail um, in the little experience I've had seeing these people. You know, it's usually a, a Rembrandt portrait or a Vermeer at the Met, so um, that makes sense. But even when they do a Rubens or something, it's just a small version of the whole composition. So this painting um, is, it's, it's huge, and it's um, a portrait of, of Antoine Lavoisier and his wife. And Lavoisier was the father of modern chemistry. Uh, he was a, a, a really, a, just a, a giant in the history of science. And, um, you know, he discovered that water was made of two molecules of hydrogen and one of oxygen, for instance. Um, and his wife happened to be um, David's uh, drawing student. You can see her portfolio in the back background of this painting, and and you can and it's easy to tell that this uh, painting is is really about her um, more than it is about him. Um, and so I started painting this um, this detail, and um, and I, I discovered from the docents that uh, the well, I can't remember exactly what I found out from the docents and what I, I found out subsequently, but um, it turns out that. Um, five years after this uh, portrait was painted, David sat on the tri tribunal that voted to have um, Lavoisier executed by guillotine. And then he had the, the gall to chase uh, Madame Lavoisier around so fervently that she had to flee the country to England. Um, so it ends up that my um, detail is is of this, I don't know if you can make it out that well, but it's of the bottom of her dress and then the very edge, end of the red uh, tablecloth, the velvet tablecloth, um, which, which it sort of it ends in this heavy um, form, like kind of like a, a big beef tongue uh, lapping at her tiny, delicate little shoe. And, um, and so that, that, that was the detail that I chose. And um, in a way, that, that painting, the, 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 the detail I don't know how to articulate this, but it's sort of more to the point, or it's more my, it's more my interpretation of this painting than the whole painting. So this is, so it's a, it's a synecdoche. It's like a, a part standing for the whole, but it's sort of, in some ways, it's more than the whole, which is what I was, tr what I'm trying to say. And so it's like this, it's like this, it's another way of saying it is a sort of a world within the world. And, um, so here's a seemingly big jump. Um, the last 
the last show I had um, at, in New York the, at ProTouch, um, the, I had this, I, I've only made three or four sculptures in my life and this is one of them. Two of them were in this show. I made four sculptures, one was in high school, two of them were in this show and then one was this loaf of bread that I made a couple years ago. Um, so you walk into the gallery and um, there's this thing which I just realized on the train today also, which is a perfect, if you don't know my old work, which I'm just about to show, um, this won't make sense to you, but this is sort of like a perfect sculptural stand-in for my work because it seems to be, it's very minimal, it's like a minimal object, minimal, kind of like the minimal cube but it's, it's really messy too. It's what's all this stuff on the bottom. And it looks like a fish tank, which, which it is actually. It's a 120 gallon reef tank. And when you walk into the gallery, this is what you saw. You didn't really see any fish. Um, it just seemed kind of blank or mute. So as you walked around it, it turns out that it's perfectly reflective um, because I've laminated it with uh, one-way mirror. Um, so what you see, so this is like also like a, 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 it's a small version of the show. Um, um, you walk around it and you see, you see, you don't see what's inside, but you see what's outside. You see, you see the show. Um, so it's, a, it's like a, yeah, another, another version of it. Um, and so, in this case, you see, you see, you can see a corner of one of those Van Gogh paintings, for instance, and then you see the other sculpture, which um, I haven't included in my talk today, but I have a couple images. If we have time, I can show them later. Um, and then a photograph in the background. So really the first time I made, I've made photographs. There's another um, picture of the tank with a photograph scene in it and a viewer looking at the photograph. And then um, another one of those Van Gogh paintings and then this, this other painting, um, which, is, which I'll show in a moment, which is um, probably the closest work in that show that the, 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 the work that mostly, most closely relates to my, what I'm calling my old work. <laughs> Which, is, which turns out not to be my old work after all. And then if you were tall enough to, uh, once you got up to this object, to look over the top, this is what you'd see. So you saw this, there's this beautiful setup with coral. Right there you see a nasotang and a clownfish and a big, that blue thing is a clam and um, lots of coral. Um, I, I, I didn't know anything about setting up a tank like this. It, this all started because Max and I were at the, the New York Aquarium with our kids and we ran into this thing that looked like a Terrell, but it had jellyfish in it. And uh, I don't know if I should say this, but we both, we both had the same thought and Max expressed it first, I think. He said, you know, you really should make one of those. It's just like your work. So I th thought about it and I, tr I kind of, it ended up being too easy because all you had to do was go to this particular um, place and just order one. So I might still do it someday, but um, this was more challenging and I mean, it ended up evolving into this thing. Um, and I guess the last thing I wanted to say about this particular piece is that, in a in a way, it's it's a kind of copy as well. It's you know people who have these sorts of things at at home, they they're they're taking a um, you know they're sort of taking a little slice of the of the of the of the world for themselves to 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 own and. Um, Yeah. So anyway, the 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 you the 
Yeah, the way it worked was that you, you couldn't see the fish, but they could see you. Um, so it was a, a kind of, it, it also, it, 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 part of what, the, one of the original impetus was exactly that, to try to flip, flip that around so that, you, you know, you're in the gallery and you're in the aquarium in a way. You're, you're, you're the, you, the, the fish are the audience and they're looking at you. Um, so this is that diptych, uh, a, a diptych um, part of what you saw in the reflection there. And it's, it's um, two five by five foot paintings representing my, my palms. And the original reason for doing that was that I have this, I don't know if you can see it, but I have this straight across line on, on one of my palms. Um, recently, not too long ago, but right before I made this painting, um, a collector, an art collector who I had had over for dinner, she um, saw my my um, palm and she said that she knew this really great world famous um, palm reader and that she would treat me for a, a reading. And it, even though I've lived with this palm for all these years, I've never had a, a, a real reading of it and a, a professional palm reading. Um, so he told me a lot of things, but essentially what he told me was that my head and my heart lines were one. And that what that meant was that I was, I'm all head. You know, I'm all in my head, which is not surprising to me. But um, he he went on to and but I I just wanted to know well how do you know if it's if it's the head and heart line then how do you know that I'm all head and and that it, that I'm not all heart <laughs> and he said you know there are people like like you who are all head like this and there aren't that many but there are some the people who are all heart are people like Jesus or the Buddha. And then he just, you know, just dot, dot, dot. So, yeah, as I was thinking about this today on the train as well, I, I, I realized that a lot of maybe the reason why, I think Josie, uh, Josie Brown at the gallery would love to hear this, a lot of the reason why I make art is 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 sort of a struggle to express the heart heart side because I really am all head and I, I don't I don't have any I don't I don't have any natural inclination toward any of this and I, I'm not I'm I, I yeah I just won't go too far into that um, never gets me in a good place so these you know, painting these paintings was sort of like uh, discovering this this other world that's right here, that's that's in my palms. You know, there's the saying that you know something like the back of your hand, which is kind of a weird thing because I mean I know what it means, but actually you don't know the back of your hand. Um, most of us don't. Um, and I didn't know my palms except to say that I had this weird crease. Um, and, and now I know them a little better in a certain way. So also in that show were these photographs um, which I started making and I continue to make. And um, they're panoramas, um, and I see a lot of photographic panoramas, and um, especially these days. Um, the, one of the things that distinguishes the, these, the ones that I'm doing, from what I can t tell anyway, because um, I think I know most of the other ones that are going on, although I, there are a lot. Um, is that I, I'm, I'm simply standing in one place 
and taking snapshots of everything. So um, every, I'm trying to take everything, um, except I don't exactly train the camera on myself, except I, I always am sure to take a picture of my feet so that, you know, so that it's, it's sort of a full, it's important that I get my feet and that I get, if I'm outside, that I get the whole sky. Um, and it's important to me because it's sort of a Taoist thing. Um, it's, it's about, um, it's, it's, you know, the extreme foreground and the extreme sky background is the juxtaposition of the two. Um, it's about, you know, it's about the infinitesimal and the infinite. It's about, it's about little me and, and, then, and then everything juxtaposed. So this is another example. Um, oh, I'm sorry. I think it was important to, well, sort of important to say that this is my backyard in Brooklyn on a, on a rainy day a couple of years ago. Um, and so, you know, it goes, it goes around 360 every direction, so you see the neighbor's yard on the left and on the right. Um, and you see my feet um, a number of times there on the bottom. So this was another kind of mapping strategy where, um, I forget which one, I think maybe this is akin to the Mercator projection, um, where I didn't, I didn't um, in the other one I filled in all the, all the spots. The other one is like Greenland being distorted. This one is the other way. And so this is the, you, you can't see it, but there's, um, there are hundreds of little kids up on that little ridge, which is probably only 20 feet higher than the low point, and they're all waiting for a turn to, to go down the steepest slope in Prospect Park after the, big, the one big snowfall. Um, a couple of years ago, which may be the last snowfall we ever see. Um, and so I just included this. I, I usually don't, but um, it seemed to be appropriate with this n notion of um, this, what I just brought up about. Uh, the, these people at Rutgers asked me to do a, a print and you know, once in a while, people ask me to do prints, and I, I really don't know what to do. So I decided this time I really wanted to. They they were so nice, and I really want to figure out how to make a multiple. So I decided to make this sky blue kite. So I said I wanted to make a kite. You know, if I were a conceptual artist, I would have made it clear. Um, I would have made it out of clear plastic so that it, you know, the idea is that it goes up in the sky and it disappears and you're kind of connected to the, it's this, that kind of Taoist thing that I was mentioning before. Um, they, were, they were a little surprised to find out that I insisted that they fly. So maybe I'm a little bit of a conceptual artist after all. Um, so it was supposed to be an addition of 30, but it ended up being 26 or 27 because a few of them didn't fly and a, few, a couple of them outright just broke. Um, so there's a picture of me um, connected to the infinite. Um, and which brings me to, to, to this project which has been ongoing since January 7th or 8th of 2001. So every Sunday, excuse me, I make a little 14 by 14 inch painting of the sky wherever I am. Um, it's usually in Brooklyn, but sometimes it's not. And then I write on the painting, I just write some something, some sort of journalistic thing. And this one says, it was such a relief to talk to Barbara today after so long. Um, life would be intolerable without such good old friends. Ella is 
working on her first science fair project at home with Lisa. Emmett and Addie are with me at the studio playing with a little blue ball. Uh, March, I can't see if that's a three or not. It looks like March 7th, 04, 1.30 p.m., Gowanus, Brooklyn, which is where my new studio is. And here are a couple more. Not quite as good resolution. And there are a bunch of them. So that, you know, 52 a year since 2001, so there are a bunch of them around. Um, I've only missed a few, um, maybe about five. Um, four of those were right after September 11th. I just, I just forgot, and then about a month later, I, re I remembered, oh, I was doing that that's got that Sunday painting project. They're called Sunday paintings, which kind of, I mean, ties into my interest in the amateur. Um, and, whoops. This is, this is from a, a group of, oh, about 10 eight by eight foot paintings that I made um, in, also in 2001. Um, 2000, 2001, uh, of, they were about the sky and the horizon, and um, this, one, this one was actually called Sunday Painting because it, it was, it depicts, from my memory, it depicts this scene that I, I noticed um, when I was walking on that hike from Muir Woods to Stinson Beach in Marin County with a good friend of mine. And, um, and we come up to this plateau where you finally can see the ocean and then you just see, it's just so glorious. And there, there was this haziness over the horizon and it, my mind did this weird thing. I, I quickly realized that if you flipped the whole scene over, that it was still a viable, um, right, ocean horizon. And so I, I was having this weird experience, kind of like the closest I've come to having this kind of a sublime experience. So, and part of it was, I mean, I don't know, this isn't really part of the, at least the 19th century notion of the sublime. But part of it was that command of my world, you know, being able to flip it and make it into another world. Um, and then, but part of it was also being with this friend and having such a wonderful time and really just realizing how much I, how fond I was of her. And so all this stuff was just happening all at the same time. And um, yeah, very emotional. Um, content, um, which, which I don't know, you know, it's often there in my work, um, but I don't know if it's really, really there. Um, this is uh, something I got, I think it was on Father's Day uh, a few years ago from my youngest child, Adeline. Um, it says, well, near as I can make out, it says, Dear Dad, I love you, something. You be the nast, which will, let's just say that means nicest. Dad, ever, I love you more than the whole world. And that's why I, I put that there, because I'm, I'm part of the whole world. So it's like she's saying, I'm. I, something that's part can be can be bigger somehow. Um, and something I was noticing today also is that I, was, <laughs> I found really interesting this, you know, she must have done this at school. It was sort of like an assignment, I guess. And I realized this is sort of like lecturing because there's the artwork and then there's this sort of didactic part. Um, <laughs> And you don't, you know, a lot of times this stuff doesn't come out unless there are those lines down there, which is what 
how this, these lectures work. You know, I, I, I often learn so much about my work just having to prepare for these things. So this is, um, so now I'm getting into um, older work and there are only 20 more images but they'll go faster. Um, so this is a small painting about the size of a kindergartner's torso um, and it's, um, well the story goes that uh, when I was in kindergarten uh, my mom was dressing me one day for school and I said, Mom, you know that shirt I was wearing yesterday? Yes. I, I have to wear it again today. And then my mom tells me that I, I insisted on wearing the same green and navy striped turtleneck for three weeks running. And it was all because Miss Mashinsky said that first day, Byron, my, that's a nice shirt. <laughs> So that painting is called Miss Mashinsky First Big Crush. Um, this is uh, a painting called Mom, and the, the idea for this painting was, I'll try to go through this quickly, is that, um, uh, you know, a lot of my career I've been interested in New York school painting, and um, sort of using the form of, of, uh, of color field painting and infusing it with a different content and sort of idiosyncratic content. And, but when I thought of making a painting of my mother's skin color, it seemed to come closest of any of my other subject matters um, to their subject matters, which were, were certainly not one thing, but they tended to be subjects that were too large for words, like chaos or life or, or the universe or anxiety. Um, and my subject matter tended to be something too small for words um, and idiosyncrasy, something, you know, someone's the color of the skin on someone's forearm. So, but with my mom's, I, I, I used to, I, I, for, for many years and still now, I tended to simply copy things. Um, most of what I've shown you was copying. Um, but for my mom's skin color, because it seemed to be sort of larger, you know, an infant, um, uh, the, the, the mother's skin is the infant's first surface, and it's it's the whole it's a, it's a world to to them, and so I decided to do it. What, you know, even though I could have looked at my mother's skin color, I I, I decided to imagine it. So I made a, a, a I made a, a few of these paintings, um, mom and mom two and mom three, and then eventually mother, which is uh, eight feet high by six. Uh, 18 feet wide, triptych. Um, this is a uh, 12th century Korean pottery, and um, I made a series of paintings, as Olga was mentioning, um, thanks to the Hirshhorn and Phyllis Rosenzweig, and um, also. Um, Thanks to Louise Court at the Freer Sackler, uh, I got to observe these uh, these pots that are um, Koreans. It's pretty pretty Korean Korea Dynasty pottery is pr pretty much you know, it's universally held by Koreans. Um, that that those are, are the most important Korean cultural production. Uh, they're very proud of these pots and their and their glazes. Um, and and so anyway, these paintings have a lot to do with my think at that time thinking about beauty and. Um, there was a, f a friend who um, I used to have lunch with named Ik Jun Kang. He's an artist, and I, he grew up in Korea. So I was asking him, did he think that these 
grayish green glazes were indeed beautiful and he he said yes and I I really badgered him about why he thought so and, and eventually he just threw up his hands and said okay the reason why they're beautiful is that I've been told that they're beautiful since I was a little kid which is kind of what I suspected um, but they but they are beautiful so it's 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 a confusing thing to me still um, but I, I think I know, I, I know pretty confidently that Rothko's paintings, which are really dear to me, would not be at, nearly as dear or w wouldn't be beautiful at all to me, probably, if I didn't know certain things about them or about art. So this is... I mean, another thing that I, I could say about these was that they, uh, that's too, it's too involved. Um, <laughs> so we'll go to this. Um, this is a, a car that I drove for a long time and um, usually go into this whole it's it's you know the the segue from the last thing was this about about beauty and and how this car which my dad gave to me um after my my really cool after i totaled my really cool uh volkswagen van when i was 23 years old or so and i just thought this car was so dorky and how could i be seen driving this car but i I ended up driving it for such a long time and went cross country in it twice by myself and hauled loads of stuff with it and and it be this you know I'm not I'm not normally too attached to things but um, I really liked that car despite the fact that it's probably the nadir of American car design if not design period um, so of course I made. A triptych in the in the in in the uh, spirit of Bryce Marden's paintings um, of the exterior um, paint color and the two interior vinyl colors. This is a diptych of um, of of a of a pool, a wonderful place in Williamsburg, where I sort of grew up as an artist. And um, there was just a wonderful sense of community there. Everybody swam there. And um, I wasn't going to include this, but it was on the card. So I made these belly paintings when I lived in Williamsburg. And it was, the, it was sort of like, this is the transitional work from being, I wasn't really an art student much. I had an aborted attempt to go to grad school, and I went to Skowhegan. Um, but I was an English major in college. And uh, so my grad school work, I sort of made it in Williamsburg. And this was the culmination of it. And it was, it was at this juncture that I went from making work that was all involved with 70s process. Um, and then everybody who looked at this said, oh, a belly painting. And I thought it was this, this painting that had too much paint on it. But everybody thought it was a belly painting. Um, so the best thing that I learned was maybe ever about making art was to see it through their eyes. And um, so I went from making these belly paintings to making these skin paintings. It's a very obvious um, segue. And um, so this is as they were at the Whitney, um, 275 of them, little paintings, little oil paintings of people's skin color from observation. And um, I, I originally thought I was making um, this modernist, some, some commentary on modernism. And I, st I still think that that is. But um, when this gets installed, gets installed with a sign that says, the, the title of it is Synecdoche, which means a, a part standing for the whole. 
and, and then it has a list of all the names of all the people who sat for me and um, in the same order as the grid. <clears throat> and uh, the, the list of names after a while became more dear to me than the, than the piece itself because I could remember meeting all these people who, who I met and at the library or in the park and some of them were friends of mine but some of them were just students of friends of mine. Um, they're mostly Brooklyn people, but a lot of them are not. Um, so it became something else, and then, you know, that great lesson of looking at it through other people's eyes, it became something entirely different at the time that it was made for other people. It became this kind of New York melting pot thing, um, which, which is great. Um, and and I, I, I'm not at all saying that that wasn't part of my, my thinking, but that's not what I meant at first. Um, this is a, a related uh, painting called Emmett at 12 months. The panels are quite small, about the size of my son, my first kid's hand when he was a year old. Um, and they're uh, egg tempera on traditional gesso, little panels. And they are not limited to his skin color, but all different colors on his body. And that's Emmett in our Williamsburg apartment when he was a year old with both feet in one of my Air Jordans. This is um, the first two kids, uh, Emmett and Ella, they're, they're uh, they're cowlicks. It's called Whirl, W-H-O-R-L. And um, these were in a sh this is my second show at ProTouch, which had only four paintings. And they were all four paintings from a series of work that I did one painting for each place that I had lived. So this is sort of the Brooklyn painting. And um, that's how it was installed. Uh, so they're they're one to one as as opposed to those palms. These are actual size, and um, they were installed opposite the New Haven painting. I went to college at Yale and was an English major, and so this is a, a an illustration of I wand Wordsworth's I wandered lonely as a cloud because I wrote so many. Um, papers on Wordsworth at, at, in college. So we're almost at the end here. This is uh, another one, another painting from that sky painting, eight by eight foot paintings um, from that show, um, which was, my, I guess, my third show at Protech, which is called, which was called The Sky is Blue. And I included this one because um, it was for Emmett, because when he was little, he was obsessed with the Concord and um, the uh, and Mount Everest, so it's called forty three thousand five hundred because that's the average between the uh, uh, the average of the cruising height of the Concorde and the and the summit of Mount Everest in feet. Um, this is called nineteen sixty one, and it's kind of a romanticized view out the window of the house where I first lived in La Jolla, pre pre-bad Van Gogh painting um, because I, we lived there less than a year before we um, took a train and moved to Wallingford, Connecticut. Um, and then almost at the end, very end, this is a, a study that I used um, to make this painting, which is of uh, uh, I lived in a pink house in Wallingford, and um, so this is the Wallingford painting. And uh, I asked my my mom and my dad and my sister um, what color that pink house was. I sent them three. I sent them identical color charts and had them tell tell me what color that house was. So this is the one that my sister sent back, which has the address, um, which I didn't remember, and which eventually became the 
the title of this painting, which is made of seven of those colors that my family chose, um, rollered on a four by eight sheet of plywood and then repeated. And so this last slide is a painting that I'm working on in my studio right now, which is, I'm just including it because it's also a stripe painting and it's of, it's actually, it's not quite there yet and it's just a study, um, but it's of a portrait, a kind of a landscape painting of the UN building. And that's it. And...